every year I take a couple times um, a year to just take a break, uh, to go out and have a week of isolation. And I did it a couple weeks ago. I went out to um, a cabin in, in Crescent and uh, just sat for a whole week with the Word of God and study and memorize and, and uh, do lots of praying and, and do lots of reading. And a couple weeks ago I knew I was going to preach a Christmas sermon because I'm preaching right now. So I, I did focus a lot on the, the Christmas story and what the Christmas story is about, what the Christmas story um, message is in those things as I studied that and I looked at that. I, I also um, read a book. Um, I don't read everything that I agree with. I um, venture out on different things that are out there in this world and, and just to see what is going on. And, and uh, the book that I read was um, a book um, uh, of a spiritual movement that was taking place in California. And the spiritual movement is, is branching out to, to other churches and and it's preaching, you know, the, the Word of God, and, and the spiritual movement is happening as a result. And so I opened that book, and, um, and I read it um, in the process of also looking at this Christmas message. And, and as I was reading it, um, it said some things that uh, I disagreed with. Um, it talked a little bit about um, the tasks, the mundane tasks of Christian disciplines are they really necessary? Are they really um, effective? Are they really powerful? Are they really sending a revival um, across the world? The tasks of prayer, the task of Bible reading, the task of even witnessing, or the task of corporate gatherings, um, are they really making a large impact on this, on this world? And uh, in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I, I think they are. But um, it was kind of an argument saying those aren't the movement that is going on. There's a more powerful movement from the Word of God, and that more powerful movement from the Word of God is we under, need to understand that Jesus is a perfect theology, meaning that when he came down to earth, um, he healed because he didn't want people to be sick. People were raised from the dead because he didn't want people to be dead. So when Jesus came down, he carried a power that was strong, that was beautiful, that saved his, his area in one sense. God wanted nobody to be sick, nobody to be poor, nobody to be blind. So he did something about it, and he did it right there. And that same Holy Spirit that is in him is the same Holy Spirit that is in you. So are you going to go out and do the same? He also talked about, when Jesus came, he talked about prophecies. Prophecy just consistently spoke out of his mouth. But that same Spirit that Jesus has as he's speaking prophecies out um, is the same Spirit that... that God has given to us the Holy Spirit. So are you prophesying? Are you preaching um, in a sense of what God is specifically giving you in your mind? The way that Jesus changed the world is the way that you can change the world is the focus of this book. And as I was reading it, I had some tension. And, um, and then when I got to one point, um, my tension released. And it says, if, if you don't believe that the power is in you, then you're probably listening to the doctrine of demons. And it was then I just jumped off, off my couch and I wanted to kick my dog, but I didn't. Just kidding. Just kidding. But, but I was started to think, wait a second. I don't heal like Jesus did. I don't go out and I don't prophesy like Jesus did when, Jesus, when things came to his mind and said, this is who God is. I, I don't necessarily do that. People don't come up and I touch people and be healed. I don't. I don't do that. What I do is I just take the Bible and I just kind of regurgitate it back out and just, you know, plagiarize it in a sense of, here's the Bible, look at it. I don't come up with things in my mind. In fact, it's not even my focus to come up with things in my mind to tell you. 
And I don't rest in the power that is in me. I rest more so that the power is in the gospel. So as I was in silence and solitude, I started to have a conversation with that book in a sense of, what do you mean? You just told me that I might be listening to doctrines of demons. You just told me that I am on a different task than I probably should be if revival is going to take place. I should be thinking differently than I am thinking. And I will tell you that if a pastor reads that and it's coming from Bible, he's going to do some evaluation. And the reason why is because there's a lot of people that are sitting here right now listening to me speak and souls are at stake. So as I sit there and I was thinking all by myself, having a conversation with that book, I said, I can't attack too fast until I figure out exactly what the doctrine of demons is. What is the doctrine of demons? So that week in solitude, I studied something. I studied the doctrine of demons, and I studied the Christmas message. And this morning, I'm going to give you both together. (laughs) So you could be thinking, this is really going to be an interesting Christmas story. Um, Yes, um, it probably will be. But uh, here it goes. What is the doctrine of demons? Just ask the question. The only way you're going to find the doctrine of demons is in the Word of God. You're not going to find it anywhere else. And if you start scanning the Word of God, demons hardly even complete one sentence. They don't even say it. There's a lot of activity that takes place. But what is the doctrine of demons? Well, there is somebody who exposed the doctrine of demons, and his name was Satan. Um, He showed up three times in the Bible, and every time he shows up, he preaches a sermon. Now, he doesn't show up very often because he doesn't want people to know what he looks like, or he doesn't want people to even know his theology necessarily. Um, So he doesn't show up very often. But when he does, you really want to take a look at him to see what his story is and what he is preaching. He did preach three times, but he preached the same sermon three times. (laughs) In other words, he preached in Genesis chapter 3. He also preached when Jesus came, when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness. And then he also preached a little bit to Job preached the same sermon three different times. What was his sermon? What is the foundation of his theology? When he speaks, you're going to speak from your heart. You're going to speak from your soul. You're going to speak from everything that was in you. This is who I am. And when he speaks, you really want to listen to him because he's going to give you his theology. And he only has one sermon. The base of that sermon is found in a prophecy um, in Isaiah and also a little bit in Ezekiel. But it's just One sermon that everything hinges off of, everything works off of, everything feeds off of in regards to, let's say, his doctrine. Now, I don't want to criticize him for having one sermon because Jesus has one sermon too. (laughs) I came, I lived a perfect life, I died, I rose, I'm the answer. That's Jesus' sermon. But there's a different one that Satan has. His sermon comes in five points, and his five points come from I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he says those five times, five different I wills in Isaiah chapter 14. So let's look at the five I wills to get Satan's teaching, and then we'll look at Christ's teaching to refute it. And then after we're done doing that for five points, we'll just ask the question, what does this mean to us, for us? Under A, this is the first I will statement. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. This is found in Isaiah 14. 13b. What does that mean? I will raise my throne above the stars of God. Many, many stars are out there, and there's a throne that's above. 
what, Satan, Lucifer is one of those stars. What does he want to do? He wants to raise his throne above that. What does that mean? I want to be independent over it all. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I don't want to tell me anybody come alongside me. I don't want anybody to tell me how to live. I want to raise my throne above the stars. Now, remember, this passage right here is the reason why he got kicked out of heaven. <laughs> he preached this sermon to Jesus or to God, and God says, well, well, I'm kicking you out of heaven. This was the statement that he did. What's the point? Satan, I want to be independent. What's God's response to Satan want to be independent? Let's look at 1B. I, Christ, will be dependent. To what point? To the point of being born as a baby. Now, dependent and independent, they don't reign together. They don't work together. They're a black or white. When you have black, you don't have white. They're a light and darkness. When you have light, you don't have darkness. They're complete oppositions, and you see Satan go in one direction. I will go independent, and Jesus says, well, let me respond to this. I will be independent, but to what point? I will be, or dependent, to what point? I will be dependent, clear to being a baby born of a virgin. There's nobody that would ever be able to convince me that a baby is any what dependent whatsoever. Why? Because I raised two of them. I mean, as I raise them, there is no way in the world to feed themselves. There's no way in the world to take care of themselves, to change their own diapers. It seems like you always have to be at their service, and you have to serve them completely, even if they're going alive, to be alive and even exist. That's what babies are, and we know all that. Well, God, Jesus, came as a man. Matthew 1, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with you. God with us in what form? The form of a dependent baby. They're obviously going opposite, different directions, Satan and Jesus. What's taking place is, Satan, I'm independent. Jesus says, I will be dependent. Let's continue down for the next I will. This is an I will statement. I will sit enthroned on the mountain of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. This is found in Isaiah 14, 13c. What does that mean? The mountain of assembly is where everyone gathers for direction. And there is a throne that everybody looks to, understanding this direction. And whoever sits on that throne has what? Has the power to give necessarily direction. And what does Satan want? I will be on that throne. In other words, I will be powerful. I'll have position, I'll have strength, I'll have influence, I'll have stability, and I will have control. How did Christ respond to that? Number two B, I, Christ, will be humbled, being placed in a manger, and visited by the downcasts. Another one. Powerful and humility do not go together. And what Jesus is doing is he says, I'll show up, but I'll show up in a different form than you even want, Satan. Everything you want, everything you desire, you're not going to have. I'm going to be different. And how am I going to be different? I'm going to redefine the throne. Redefine the throne? What do you mean you're going to redefine the throne? This throne is going to look more like a manger. 
God being placed in it. And the people that assemble around this manger are not going to be the high-class, professional, good-looking, intelligent people, but they're going to be the outcasts called shepherds. Luke 2, 8 says, In the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping their watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. God has shown up. Go to his throne because there's something that's going to be said from his throne. And do you know what you're going to see? You're not going to see, I will be powerful from a world perspective. You're going to see, I will be humble instead. And as you look at the manger and you see even the humility of Christ coming to earth, we stand and we assemble around it and we say, this is God made man. Is he communicating something? Because all these things were taking place even before Satan left. Number three, the third I will statement, I will, this is Satan talking, descend above the tops of the clouds. What does that mean? When you ascend upon the top of the clouds, there is a majestic statement that the clouds are underneath my feet, and here I am under its control, riding on the winds, the wings of the wind. A very majestic statement. This was the statement that Satan said that got him kicked out of heaven as well. I will ascend. I will be majestic. What does Christ do? He goes in opposite direction. I will what? descend and be born from an unmarried, impoverished teenage girl tagged with stigma. That's the Christmas story. Everything Satan wanted, it seems like Jesus is going the opposite direction. Let's try to find some majestic pieces in this passage. Matthew 1.18, this is how the birth of Jesus came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. She was pregnant without a father. This is not a good situation, nor is it a majestic situation in a sense that there is stigma going to be tagged to her, and guess who knew it? Joseph knew it. So what did he do? Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Let's keep this a secret. <laughs> Let's not stand necessarily on the, crowd, the clouds and, and proclaim the name that Jesus has come, that God has touched earth, that God is here. You see the first interaction of Joseph and Mary, and Joseph and Mary says, oh, this is, this is not good. There's, you're a teenage girl, we're not married, and you're pregnant. How do we deal with this? How do we keep this quiet? Is there any majesty that has taken place in it? What's going on? Is Satan saying, this is what I want, 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 and God says, no, I'm in control, and this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, this is what's going to happen? Maybe. Let's continue to go down. Fourth, I will statement. I will ascend to heaven. It's Isaiah 14, 13a. What does that mean? I will have wisdom, and I'll have status. I will ascend to heaven. I will have wisdom 
and I will have status. This is a statement of arrogance because arrogance because he wanted to accomplish something, and he had it in his mind of what he wanted to accomplish. And he thought he was the perfect wisdom, and he wanted that position. How does Christ refute it? 4B, I will again, instead of ascend, descend from heaven and redefine wisdom and reposition status. What do you mean Jesus will redefine wisdom and position status? If you look in the Gospels, there's two stories, that um, Christmas stories, that are in the Gospel. Matthew gives a Christmas story, and also Luke gives a Christmas story. But John doesn't give the Christmas story in its specifics. He gives a Christmas story in a different way. And the way that John gives a Christmas story in a different way is he is going to explain what God is thinking in the process of Christmas taking place. In other words, you get the wise men, you get the the shepherds, you get the star, you get the manger in Matthew, and you get it in Luke. But in John, you get the explanation of what God is thinking in the whole process. So let's read that explanation. It's found in John 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. That's one of the largest statements in Scripture. The Word was what? In the beginning, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word was with God in the beginning. You want to be thinking, what is going on here? And as you continue to unfold the verse, it just dumps a whole load of truth. Because it's talking about a Word that carries so much power, so much strength, so much majesty. You're talking about God in a sense of being a word. What does word mean? Word tells out. Word speaks. Communication is going to take place. What is being communicated in this verse? It's exposed in John 1.14. The word, what? Became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Word is a Greek word of logos. Logos is logic. God wants to speak something out. And when he wants to speak something out, he wants to tell you what is in the manger. It is God made man, God made into man, the third part of the Trinity. The Word was with God, the Word is God, and the Word was with God in the beginning, and the Word now became flesh. Wisdom is obviously redefined. Because if Satan is looking for it, he's thinking of power, strength. Give me a mind that will rule. Give me a mind that will have, have majesty. Give me a mind that will be so sharp. Well, God says, well, let me tell you what I'm going to do with the mind, which is my mind. I am going to be placed in a manger instead. Redefine wisdom. What do you mean redefine wisdom? All the way through scripture, we see the poor will be rich. Well, that's the opposite direction. The ugly will be beautiful, the weak will be strong, the less honored will be honored. The ones that look like they shouldn't rule, for some reason they just rule. That's all the way through Scripture. And as we're looking at this all the way through Scripture, it starts at the Christmas story with the baby. And then after the baby grows up, he starts to pick who? Again, the low-life scum, kind of like the shepherds. He starts to pick the outcasts, the disciples that don't really necessarily have it all together. The person that should rule, it seems like, are not ruling. Why is this taking place? 
God wants to redefine wisdom. And redefine wisdom is in him, and as it is in him, he says, this is what I want you to think. Be humble, not proud. Be poor, not rich. That should be the drive. Be sacrificed and don't take it in on yourself. Everything Satan wanted, seems like the Christmas story, refutes and fights. 1 Corinthians 1.19, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? God is doing something, and he's doing something inside of that Christmas story. All right, the last one, I will statement. This is, again, Satan's sermon. I will make myself like the most high. Isaiah 14, 14a is that verse. Meaning what? I will be like God. It doesn't really need much of an explanation, that comment. And remember that this is the comment where Satan was cast out of heaven. I will be like God. Um, What was in Satan's mind when he was thinking, I will be like God, this is what I want to be? I can tell you what was not in his mind. And one thing that was not in his mind is I don't think he was planning on serving. I do not think that he was planning on giving. I don't think that he was planning on being obedient. And I really don't think that he was planning on dying when he said, I'm going to be like God. All those things were out of his mind. He had something else that he was going after. Power, glory, majesty, pride, But what happens? Five, here is God. I will make myself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, and be obedient to death so people will see God. Satan says, I want to be like God. Jesus says, I will reveal God. Reveal God? How are you going to reveal God? I'm going to give his heart, mind, character, and beauty. And this is what it's going to look like. Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Everything Satan wanted, it seems like Jesus says, I just want you to know, Satan, I'll be going the opposite direction. Everything you long for, everything you desire, everything that you think that you should have, everything that you are pushing for, I'm going to redefine all that, and I'm going to do it in Christ, and I will start at Christmas. So what does this mean for us? We see two different sermons take place, one from Satan and and one from God, and we get the Christmas story in the process, but what does this mean for us? Number six, the story of Christmas puts us all at a crossroad on which direction to follow. Again, when we start talking about Christmas, we start talking about light and darkness and what darkness cannot exist if light is present. In other words, there's no understanding of which way to go, which not way to go. It should be very, very clear. You go to Christ or you go specifically away from him. What happened is that Satan, if he kept his theology to himself, it would have been okay. And he could have just been cast out, but he didn't. He was cast down into the world, and when he's cast down into the world, He did not keep his theology to himself. He gave it to us. And where did he give it to us? He gave it to us, Adam and Eve, in the garden. 
Now remember what happens with his sermons. It's always the same sermon. And I want you to look at this sermon to see if his theology is coming out. Genesis 3.1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? What's that? Find your own identity in yourself. You don't necessarily need God. What is that? That is the I will statement in myself. Continue to read the passage. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. If your eyes are open, Adam and Eve, you will be independent. You don't have to no longer be dependent on God. The opening of the eyes will allow you to be able to function by yourself. This is the same thing that was in his system when he got kicked out of heaven. What's he doing? He's transferring it to us. And you will then what? Be like God. You will be powerful. If your eyes are open, you will take a position, and that position will be like God. Power is yours, knowing good and evil. If you understand good and evil, what? You will be God. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, be wise in your own eyes. He's pulling every single sermon out. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it as well. This is Satan's sermon and how he speaks. You can be powerful. You can be independent. You can be wise. You can make your own identity, and you can be God. Everything that is done in the spiritual warfare is getting us to this point, and the reason why is because if we can get to this point in Satan's eyes, we will completely reject Christmas. We will completely reject Christ because obviously they're going two different directions. This is his focus. Be powerful. Be independent. Be wise. Make your own identity. Be God. That's what he's trying to sell us. But as he's trying to sell us this, there's one verse in the Bible that uh, is uh, probably one of the richest verses in the Bible. And the reason why it's the richest verse in the Bible is because it has Christmas and it has Easter all in one verse. And it happened 4,000 years before it ever took place. After the sin took place, they chose Satan rather than God. And after the sin took place, God came and he preached a sermon, Adam, Eve. And then you also have Satan there. The whole sermon takes place. There's one verse that sticks out above them all. And it says this, and I will put enmity. What does enmity mean? A state of opposition. In other words, there's going to be a fight (laughs) that is going to happen. There is going to be an opposition that is going to happen. What's the opposition? Between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. What does that mean? Satan, you put a seed of sin and death into the woman. I will tell you Christmas is on the way. And the way I will tell you is I will put a seed into the woman that conquers sin and death. And it will be Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And then at the end we get the Easter story. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. There we're talking about the cross. All in one verse. There is enmity and there is a story. And the story of Christmas is going the complete opposite direction as the theology, doctrine, and teachings of Satan. What? You can be powerful? Jesus says, I'm going to a manger. You can be humble. 
You can be independent. He's telling me, Jesus is telling me, I can be dependent. I must be dependent. Satan is telling me, I can be wise. God is telling me, let Christ's wisdom reign in you. Don't try to say, it is me that is wise. Satan says, you can have your own identity. Your identity will perish with you. You must be identified in Christ. Satan says, you can be like God. And Jesus, the Christmas story, says, don't be your own God. God came to save you. Look at the manger, because that's a king of kings, that's a lord of lords. When we look at the Christmas story, we can often react and say, it is a very sad story. Sad story about Joseph and Mary traveling to Bethlehem. As she is pregnant, it does not look very comfortable. Uh, Think of the dust, think of the dirt, think of the pain. And when they show up, what happens? They are completely rejected. There's no rooms. And since there's no rooms, where are you going to go? Well, we'll offer you a, a stall. We'll offer you a barn. And sure enough, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, is born in a barn. And after he's born in the barn, it's like, well, where are we going to place him? We'll put a manger together. So they put this manger and put it up. And I don't know how they did it, but they placed him in a manger. And you can look at that story with extreme amount of sympathy. The amount of pain. I go, I just can't believe Christmas happened for our God and for our King like that. It is not good. Christmas is an ordained and predestined by God. It was ordained by His sovereignty, and everything that happened during Christmas was permitted exactly the way that God wanted it to happen. When you see the manger, when you see the virgin being born, when you see Joseph, what should I do, should I leave? Everything that happens at Christmas, God ordained it and said it will happen the way I want it to happen. Isaiah 23 says, The Lord of hosts has planned it to defile the pride of all beauty, to despise all the honored. And what does Christmas do? Christmas does it. But why? Why? Why do we go to such humility extremes rather than powerful extremes? Why do we go to such homeless extremes instead of such majestic extremes? Why? I think God wanted to make sure that you're not going to follow Satan because he's going this direction, which is completely opposite. And Jesus says, I am going a completely different direction. You choose God. This is what his God looks like, and this is what I look like. Complete humility. So here we are at a crossroad, looking at both of them. We got a liar, we have a snake, and then we have a baby in a manger. What do we do? We need to choose. We need to make a decision. And we're all faced a decision on the crossroad. And remember, light does not reign with darkness. If light shows up, darkness goes away. In other words, you can't have both of them. You have to have just one. Let's make a decision. I will live by my own wisdom. In other words, I can figure out life by myself. I can do it on my own. I don't necessarily need the mind of God, nor do I need the word of God. I can do it by my own wisdom. Or you can say, God, I submit to your wisdom. Now, if you are on your own wisdom, you don't submit to Christ's wisdom. You've got to make that decision. You've got one or the other. It's black and white. I am going to live with my own wisdom, or I'm going to change my mind, and I'm going to live with the wisdom of Christ. And what does that wisdom do? 
That wisdom is beauty and humility. That wisdom is, is strength and weakness. That wisdom is going to Jesus and being broken before his throne, not going to a position of power and exalt the entire nation with that position of power. We need to make a decision. I will be independent, or I will be dependent on God. See, there's a reason why God said, I will be dependent to my Father, and he keeps that all the way through, and he also says, I'll be even dependent on Mary as I'm even born. I will be dependent because he is showing us that independence is an absolute lie from the enemy, from Satan itself, and dependence on Christ is life. We have to make a decision. I will be powerful. I am the one that will do it myself. I'm the one that will accomplish things myself. I don't really need God, or we need to ask the question, I will be humble with Christ. You've got to go one way or the other. You don't get to sit in a neutral zone. There's one side or the other. Do you see how radical Christmas is? It changes everything from perspective. Pride and humility, they can't reign by themselves. One has to take over. I will find my identity in myself. I will be somebody strong. I will be somebody good. Or I will find my identity in Christ. I will be my own God or I will go to Christ for salvation. Christmas story was the start of the message of salvation. He came to the lowest of lowest. And when he came to the lowest of lowest, that statement is anybody who wants to be saved can come to where I am at, right next to my manger. And when I come to the lowest of lowest, I will live a perfect life, the life that nobody could live. I will live it. Obey every single law in the Word of God. I will not sin, not even once. And then what I'll do is I will go to the cross. And when I go to the cross, I will die in your stead. And as I die in your stead, you will not be worshiping a dead God. You will be worshiping a live God who has risen from the dead. That is the message of Christ. And it is an opposite message of Satan. So therefore, we got to ask, Do we find our salvation ourselves, or do I find my salvation in Christ? Christmas confronts us, and the reason why is because it is so radical. It it is exactly everything that our flesh does not want. We want power, we want strength, we want glory. Well, that is a whisper from the enemy saying, yes, you do, because if you do, you don't need the baby in a manger. Christmas story says, choose the baby in a manger. Choose your God. Number seven, the Christmas story is the ultimate change in direction. What direction will you follow? Just to summarize it, we need to answer the question, um, who's in charge, myself or God? See, Satan, he doesn't necessarily want to be in charge of you. And the reason why he doesn't necessarily want to be in charge of you is because um, if he is in charge of you when you die, it's all going to be gone anyway. He, just, he doesn't want to be in charge of you. What he wants to do is he wants to convince you and tell you that you are in charge of yourself. Because if you're in charge of yourself, then you are independent and you don't need a Savior. And if you don't need a Savior, you're following him all the way. So we have to ask the question, who's in charge? Who's my king? Is my my king? Or is... Christ, my king. If Christ is your king, you've got to go to that manger. You've got to go to that baby. You've got to go to the cross. You've got to go to the resurrection and say, I submit 
to you and your direction. Father, I just um, thank you, God, for making your message so clear. God, the message starts out in Christmas, God, when you came as a baby in a manger, and then the message continues to go through the perfect life, and then your death on the cross, and then your resurrection. God, I just pray that if there's anybody in the room, even right now, God, as we speak, that have rejected that message, that has not bowed to the message, that has not worshipped you and choose to worship themselves instead, I just pray, God, that you would soften their hearts, that they would respond to you, that they would find life in you, that they would find the grace that you have to offer. Thank you, God, for the message, and I just pray that all of us, God, embrace it with full arms. In Christ's name, amen.